0: In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. I am so happy to be back here in Virginia, to be back here with all of you. And I was excited to be asked to preach this morning until, until snakes, snakes. I hate snakes. I'm terrified of them. Clearly, I should have remembered that old adage, look before you leap, or in this case, look at the lessons before you agree to preach on them. So I thought, and I told everyone who would listen the same thing. Until, until the light of God's word, the light of God's presence in the Holy Spirit wormed its way into my very grudging consciousness. And I realized a very uncomfortable truth. What I had hoped for, what I had wanted, were lessons that would immediately shape them in, shape themselves into a magnificent sermon with little or no effort on my, on my part. Not going to happen. So lessons, truth, truths and our response to truth. Those seem to be the central themes of our lessons this morning. We begin with that seemingly bizarre story from numbers. The people complain, and I gotta say, I always get a kick out of their complaint. There is no food, there is no water. And the food is really terrible. The people complain. The snakes come. People die. They realize their sin. They beg for help. God heals them. So simple, it seems. But what truths might we find here? Well, certainly, this lesson reminds us that especially in its earliest forms, Hebrew religion and practices owed so very much were so intertwined with the religious cults of the ancient Near East and and indeed the Canaanite religious cults, where snakes were often worshipped as gods, as symbols of fertility and knowledge, and because they shed their sins, also images of rebirth, and regeneration. If we follow the history of that bronze serpent, we find that it somehow ends up in the temple built by Solomon, where it becomes an object of worship until the reforming king Hezekiah in the eighth century uh, has it torn down and destroyed. And it is clear also that the reading we have today probably comes from an ancient story, an ancient memory of the Exodus, but it has been formed and shaped by practitioners of a particular, and I would say very simplistic theology that runs through much of Numbers, Deuteronomy, and into Joshua. And that theology is simply, uh, if we do bad things, if we sin, if we break the law, bad things will happen to us immediately. But if we do good, if we keep the law, then everything good will happen. Now, I must say, I do not believe that God sent those snakes to bite the Hebrew people. There are plenty of snakes in the desert, in the Sinai wilderness. Uh, but I think this in this story, There is a much more important theme beyond the snake gods, beyond the uh, narrow theology. The truth is simply that God was with God's people always, even in the desert, even when they were in the midst of complaining. The minute they looked for God, those people found God right there, there to be with them, there to heal there to lead them onwards. Now, our gospel lesson expands on these same ideas. Clearly, the story from Numbers was chosen as our first lesson because it uh, it is used by Jesus as an image in the first two verses of the gospel. Now, that story probably is not the main focus of our gospel but we shouldn't ignore the truth that it provides right there. First of all, the Gospel of John is often seen as virulently anti-Semitic. Jesus is either attacking or being attacked by the Jews, a different alien group of others. But if we look closely, we find that the Gospel of John is actually soaked in the images and and themes of the Old Testament. Jesus, who was often seen as the prophet like Moses, predicted in the Old Testament, is the fulfillment, the culmination, and yes, the expansion of Jewish hopes and heritage. And it should be no surprise to us that Jesus uses this story, this image, for what is his first prediction of his passion, of how he will be crucified and die. Certainly, growing up, the young boy Jesus, the young adult Jesus, probably heard this story read or told again and again. The truth is that Jesus was a Jew that jesus lived and died a jew and our christian faith is truly dependent on is it inextricably bound up with judaism and our jewish heritage truth and truth living in the light of god's truth those form the focus of this reading and indeed the entire Gospel of John The light the true light has come into the world we read and celebrate at Christmas time I am the light of the world Jesus proclaims but is that light always a good thing do we want that light do we really want light to be shot to be shined onto some of those dark corners of ourselves and our lives to show us, to make perfectly clear, to make us look at those behaviors, those attitudes, those actions that we, as individuals, as communities, and yeah, as nations, that we want to keep hidden from others. And yes, we want to keep hidden from our own selves. What uncomfortable, unpleasant truths do we prefer to ignore, to forget, to consign to the dustbin of history? But how can we change? How can we change and grow into the people God has called us, has made us to be? How can we live fully and authentically as people of faith, if we refuse to faith to face all the essential truths of our lives and our world. The desert wilderness is one of the central images of Lent, the ancient Hebrews wandering in the Sinai wilderness, learning or, or trying to learn what it meant to be God's chosen people. Jesus spending 40 days, a long time, in the desert before beginning his active ministry, perhaps trying to understand what that ministry would entail, perhaps trying to gather strength for what lay ahead. The desert, whether in scripture or in reality, the desert wilderness is a barren place. And in such barrenness, it's hard to hide from truth, from the essential truths. This past year, this pandemic year, has often been called, been likened to, an extended Lent, a really long time in the wilderness of grief, boredom, fear, uncertainty and so much more. As the one year anniversary of the beginning of this pandemic has arrived this month, I've been interested to see and to read numerous articles on what the pandemic year has taught us, what have been its positives and negatives, what have we learned about everything from the need for time in the office the meaning, the importance of school, to children and parents, to what we need to make us happy and what we can give up easily. Now, I certainly, certainly do not believe that God caused or somehow magicked up, magicked up the virus and the consequent pandemic, no. I think that the natural imperative of viruses to grow, to spread, to mutate, coupled with human ignorance, human greed, human unwillingness to change our minds or our behaviors, our unwillingness to give up treasured, treasured goods in our lives, all of that provides plenty of reason for this pandemic we're living through. But perhaps, perhaps the God who is with us always, perhaps God is calling us to use this difficult, this barren time to search for some some important, some essential truths at the intersection of our faith and our lives. The importance, the centrality of community, the need for human relationships, for meaningful living, our surprising abilities and willingness to find new ways to give and to serve. The importance of prayer and of liturgy to shape and support our lives, our faith the truths of human selfishness and distorted priorities, the realities of growth's inequalities seemingly built into the political, economic, social, even religious systems of our lives and our world, the often yawning gap between our actions and the values and ideals we profess to hold and to honor. I grew up in the late 1960s, and I was powerfully affected, and I was passionately committed, passionately and personally committed, to the movement for racial justice and equality in our country, that long and painful, and in many ways, so horrible struggle and by the 1970s, I thought that the battles, the war, had been fought and won. Schools, restaurants, hotels, whatever, had been integrated. Voting rights had been won. There were no more struggles to be thought, no more painful truths to be faced, no more terrible events to live through. This past year, I've realized the truth of my own complacency, the complacency that all that was over with, and hence my unnoticingness of what was happening. As we look to a somewhat unknown and truly uncertain normalcy, whatever that means, coming in the months to come. And please, God, let it come. Today's gospel, and indeed the whole gospel, the gospel, the good news, challenge us to honestly look at, examine the truths of our existence and always, always having acknowledged them to act to live in response to our understanding, our acceptance of those truths, no matter how difficult, how uncomfortable. The literal Greek of verse 21, the last verse in our um, gospel lesson, says simply, those who live the truth. Live the truth, live and act on those difficult truths that have emerged. And while we are struggling, and oh yes, I'm struggling, to uh, face and to respond to those truths, those hard truths, let us not forget, let us live in and through The most important truth of all, the truest reality of our existence, that God is with us always, the God who created us, who created everything that is, who loves us beyond all measure, the God who loves us enough to die, to bring us to God's self, is right there with us. Eugene Peterson has written, The single qualification for being eligible for God's help, for being eligible for God's help, is that we are in trouble. The reason for that trouble doesn't matter, whether it's our own fault or someone else's. What matters is that God is right there in the midst of our struggles In the midst of our trouble, God is right there with us to pick up the pieces of our broken hearts and put them back together again. To pick up the pieces, to put them back together, to help us move forward. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is also from the Gospel of John. You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. May it be so for each and all of us. Amen, amen.